Welcome to the Growing Up Compton Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Growing Up Compton Podcast. This is actually the first podcast with my first guest ever. And <laughs> I'm going to return to favor because I was his very first recruit ever at the University of Washington. So you give it up for Lorenzo Romar. How you doing, Bobby Jones? Good, I'm good, I'm good. So, Coach, I kind of went over the guidelines for the podcast. You have to be a resident, live in Compton at a certain, certain point in your life. And so, let's start from the beginning. How, where are you from? Where did you grow up? How long did you live there for? I lived in Compton from about the age of four. Well, let me take that back. About the age of three, up until I was uh, 19 years old. And what the cross streets and main cross streets in Compton? Three different places. The first one was on 136 in Central, uh, not too far from the famous Golden Bird Chicken Place back in the day. Of course. Uh, right across the street, uh, pretty close to Centennial. And then later on, uh, we moved over to uh, 603 North Willow Street, which was near the Compton Motor Vehicles and Wilson Park and Our Lady of Victory grammar school where you and I both attended. Yes, I went to Our Lady of Victory for in eighth grade for one year. For one year, right. But we're forever tied to that. <laughs> That's right. So and, and then my final uh the final move was we moved on the other side near Dominguez High School near Kelly Park on Alondra and Central. Mm. No, I'm sorry, Alondra and Atlantic. Alondra and Atlantic. So so with you moving around you met a lot of friends in different neighborhoods, I'm guessing. No doubt about it. So growing up Obviously, I, I'm not going to assume, but were you in games? Were you friends with gang members? Were you treading it softly? Because, you know, there's many ways as you grow up, you have friends for different reasons. Probably more acquaintances of gang members than actual friends. They never They're, tried to recruit you? Uh, yeah, one time. Uh, <laughs> and, and we were playing football in the middle of the street in front of our house, and they came over and told us to, uh, they, they kicked our football over the house, first of all. So we didn't have our football, exactly. And they told us they needed to go around the corner on Atlantic Drive and get with the, with the gang over there. Uh, and I remember they said, you going to do it or not? And uh, my little brother, I remember, who's really stubborn, had tears in his eyes because in his mind he was saying, man, I'm about to get pumped to do this and I don't want to do it. The wrong type of care I said, man, come on, man. What are you doing? <laughs> Let's go. You gotta, yeah. So. How old were you? You think more? I was probably 14, 15 years old and he reluctantly, he said, no, I'm not doing it. So the guy went to the back of his bike. He was on a bike and he had a, a, a gun. He mm -hmm. said, now what you gonna do? That's when my brother had tears in his eyes. Like, I got to go do this. This dude punking me into doing something I don't want to do. But uh, as soon as they drove off, we never did it. Yeah. Ran in the house. It's like, the, that's, that's, I, I, I'm sure we all have similar stories, maybe not extreme, but growing up in Compton, obviously you see a lot. Um, what was your living situation like? Did you have both parents? Did you grow up? You know, how did that affect you or inspire you? Well, we didn't fit the, the, uh, I don't know, perceived stereotype of a kid growing up growing up in Compton with a one-bedroom house and it was dirty. And we we actually had both parents in the home like you did. Both of my parents worked. Uh, we just happened to live in that area. But we did have a, a good set of parents in the home. 
So you, you told us their, their age range you're looking to count. This. So around what year is to what year is like in the 70s, 80s? I don't want to put you out there. So oh, no, no, I'm an old dude now. It was back in the day. It was probably 1962 until gotcha. uh, about 1978, 79. Uh, when I went away to college at the University of Washington, my parents moved to Paramount while I was gone. Which is right, not that far from Compton. Exactly, Paramount, know. and it actually was closer to Dominguez High School yep. than uh, than where we live in, in Compton, but uh, up until that point. So it was about 62 to 78, 79. Gotcha. And, you know, obviously when NWA and all that stuff started coming out, what did you think was that for you? Because, you know, you're still semi-young, so... You know, it's different for me growing up when I see music change now. So how was that when you started seeing that being, you know, in the, in the, in the you know, limelight? And, you know, well, you think that was a fair assessment or do you think like, we'll see how this goes. I'm not sure, you know, what the end result is this going to be. I didn't know totally what the end result was going to be, but I just knew that uh, they were representing Compton. <laughs> and, you know, there's some some talented people that have come from Compton that ended up not making it. So they were they were being successful, you know. Now, what people tell me is that Dr. Dre and some others were, they'd come up to Kelly Park. They live right around there and they would watch us play basketball. Really? Yeah, that's it. Uh, my brother, my younger brother, he remembers that more than I do. But mm. Apparently they were around there. And I'm not trying to just jump on the bandwagon like, oh, you know, you know, uh, of course not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it was it, it was still a positive. I thought that they were they were from Compton. Mm. So do you, do you think you can be successful and be gangster at the same time, or is there a point where you got to make a decision? I think all in all, you have to make a decision. Uh, I just think uh, you know you have to define success. The gang members would say we are successful. Look what I have. I mean, in fact. It was tempting at times because they had nice cars, they had jewelry, they had money, they had girls, they had a lot. So in their mind, they were successful. That's true. Perspective is everything. Absolutely. I got you. Now that, I wouldn't define sex uh, success in that light, but uh, everybody's different. So growing up, did you, we know you played basketball, but was there other sports you played that helped you in basketball or was you just focused on basketball or like but, NBA or nothing? Played a little football, but it was mostly baseball. Mm. In fact, when I was really young, that's what I thought I wanted to be as a professional baseball player. But Who's your favorite baseball player growing up? Willie Mays. There's no question. Willie Mays and Willie Davis from the Dodgers. That was his name. You don't know who that is. Mm -hmm. It was before your time. But if anyone <laughs> my age was close to it would hear this, they would remember Willie Davis. But uh, that was probably the, the, the main one. You know, we would play baseball all the time and mm -hmm. you know there's there's a guy named Hubie Brooks he's from Compton he played <clears throat> in the big leagues he was an all-star Kenny Landro from Compton mm -hmm. uh, for those time. who don't know we're getting a little quick history lesson thank you coach yeah well you're talking about baseball in Compton there were a lot of professional baseball players that came out of Compton mm -hmm. so we would play that so it was probably more baseball players than basketball players at one point I would say so there's that no doubt professional yeah, baseball isn't as popular in the urban areas and but before, I mean, it was a blowout in terms of baseball players and any other sport from mm -hmm. Compton, from what I remember. Gotcha. And so when did you realize that you was actually a good basketball player? Because I think there's a point where we all like, okay, I'm doing it for fun. And then you realize, like, I'm actually a lot better than everybody else. Or did you ever have that 
Because there's confidence you have to have to be a successful basketball player. Like, you got to feel like you're a good player. So when did you realize, like, I might be above average, and I'm let's see where this takes me. Bobby, I wasn't a stud from an early age like you were, first of all. <laughs> Sarcasm. It took me a while. No, you were. I mean, you were already good. I had, a, I had a high motor. My motor carried me through a lot of difficult stuff. So, Well, you were you were recruited out of high school. You were good. Uh, I thought I was pretty good until I went to high school. And in the ninth grade, I went to Verbal Day. And it seemed like every great point guard or guard that I played against when I was younger was going to Bourbon Bay at the same time. Mm -hmm. So I, I didn't really feel like uh, I was a, a good basketball player probably until I got to Cerritos Junior College my sophomore year. Before that, I was I was pretty good on the playgrounds and at, at the parks. But mm -hmm. in terms of organized basketball, I hadn't really accomplished much until college. Gotcha. So you went to JUCO, and then from there, that's when you went to University of Washington? That's right. First time you ever been to Seattle, or did you go before? No, it was the first time uh, on my visit. You know, prior to that, uh, going, out of, going out of high school, I even walked up to Compton College to try to get them to give me a tryout. There was no interest. So I couldn't even play in my own hometown. Oh, wow junior college. But <laughs> you let that stop you, obviously. So. No, no, didn't discourage me. So you got to University of Washington, you had a good career there. When did you start thinking that maybe coaching might be in the next transition phase of your life? Did you always feel like a coach or did it take you to be on the back of your career before you started thinking about next options? Like, how did that go? Bobby, I didn't, I never really thought about coaching, but I did things that coaches do. Yeah. You know, I recruited because I loved to play so much and I was obsessed with basketball. We didn't have cell phones then. I would just, whenever I'd see a good basketball player, I'd get his number. I probably had a list of 50, 60 names of guys that could play and probably a list of 12 to 13 custodians or coaches that could open a gym at any time, anywhere. So I had those numbers. That was a form of recruiting. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember at our later victory in the sixth grade, talking trash to the seventh graders about our our class was better than them in baseball, and they were talking trash back. I said, "Well, let's play." So I organized a team, picked each position: first base, second base, so on and so forth. Secured the place to play Wilson Park. Got the school off the last period; could all go. And it was after school. Everybody went over to Wilson Park and watched the game. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was organization. That was recruiting. All of that. Yeah. Uh, I remember playing later professionally, driving by, watching a kid that 11 or 12 years old shooting by himself mm -hmm. at a playground, and just pulling my car over, getting out trying to show him how to shoot the correct way yeah. and God didn't know who I was who I played for but it just I just enjoyed teaching the game uh, it was just all part of me but it wasn't until later I was with a group called Athletes in Action and our coach left and at that point I was helping them schedule games against college teams mm -hmm. we were an exhibition type team and recruiting for them and uh, I just said you know what I'd love to let me, instead of going get another coach I'm already here let me try so that's when I kind of got into coaching. How long did you stay there for? Seven years, but I was a co-coach for the last three. And then Jim Herrick from UCLA uh, contacted me and offered me an opportunity to join them. So he contacted you? Yes. Uh, is that normal, you think, looking back? Or? No, but uh, Mark Godfrey, who was one of his assistants, knew me. He had played with Athletes in Action briefly, and he knew about my background. All this stuff we're talking about in Compton, I used to tell him about it, and uh, he mentioned to Jim Herrick, he said, 
I don't know of anyone that knows LA, the basketball scene, as much as Lorenzo does. You know, he just seems to know everybody, you know, from growing up there. That's when Coach Herrick contacted me. Gotcha. And then for those who don't know, uh, they also won a national championship, Coach Otis, as a, I mean, not Otis, Coach Romar as a 1995. 1995. Against who? It was against Arkansas, Nolan Richardson and the Arkansas Razorbacks. So did y'all, how did that year go? Did y'all have like, were y'all expected to do good? Did you overachieve, underachieve? Did you just hit the right stride at the right time? How you, why would you describe? The spring of the season before that, first of all, we lost in the first round the year before in the NCAA tournament. And that spring, I was offered a job, believe it or not, here at Pepperdine then. And I was thinking I might do this. And I went into, it was Pepperdine at Oregon State. And I went into our locker room one day and was just looking at our guys. I said, you know what? I can't leave here. I said, we might get to a final four. We've got a lot of talent. We've got the O'Bannon brothers who were from Compton. Yeah. You know, their parents are teaching high school. Yeah. And uh, same school as James Harding. Yeah, that's exactly right. And we had some other players, Ty Sedney from Long Beach Poly and yeah. the Long, Long Beach Poly and some other guys. I said, man, I, I would hate to leave here and we go to the final four and I miss on that, miss out on that. So I stayed. And then uh, after three games, we were number one in the country. And we went on to win 19 straight games after our first loss in conference. So people thought we would have a chance to win it all. And mm -hmm. we did. There you go. So how many more years did you stay there? And then when did you get your first coaching job? After we won the championship in 95, I was there the next year in 96. And then I came here to Pepperdine, my first head coaching position. Gotcha. And how was that, having that responsibility? Were you ready? Looking back, did you, were you winging it a little bit? Did you, you know, how was that whole experience? I was definitely winging it. There's no doubt about it. Uh, there were some things from my basketball background, working for Jim Herrick that I understood, but uh, there was a whole lot that I had to learn before I could become an effective head basketball coach. I had some really good assistants with me. Mm -hmm. Randy Bennett right now, he's been at uh, St. Mary's for 19 years and one of the top coaches in the country. Kenny Ammon was another assistant with me that won a national championship later in the NAIA division. So had a really good staff, but then also we were able to get some really good players too here in Pepperdine. So we were able to do pretty, pretty well. Gotcha. And then from there, obviously Coach Romar got the job in St. Louis, he was there. Uh, and then you got the job at University of Washington, back to your old alma mater. How was that? Um, a lot of people don't know, obviously, uh, before you got there, Bob Bender was the coach and you know, he got fired, Romar got hired. Uh, I, he signed me maybe a couple weeks later, March or May, the late signing period. And, you know, we had a tough first year, obviously, Coach. Uh, how did things turn around? You can give them a quick, you know, you're a great storyteller, so I'll let you tell them. Well, you said quick. I don't know if that means I need to hurry, but I got to talk about how how you came to Washington in, in the first place, if, if you don't mind. Sure, sure. Go ahead. I was at, having known who you were since you were in the eighth grade, now I was at St. Louis, and I remember going to uh, watch a kid play in Virginia and it was late at night and the kid had hurt his ankle so he didn't show up. So I was just in the middle of nowhere and I hear there's a, in another gym, there's a game, I'm saying I have nowhere to go, the night's pretty much over, let me just look in here. And there you were, Bobby, all six, six of you then, you're much thinner than you are now. 
you had this wild fro, yeah. I remember, and you were just at late at night picking up this little jitterbug 5'10 guard, picking him up full court, stealing the ball from him, clapping in his face, just all kind of energy. And I thought I would love to have him at St. Louis, but I doubt if he would come that far. Went on about my business. Later, that next spring, we get the job at Washington. We find out that you hadn't signed with anyone. And I knew right away, okay, that's the guy we need to start this out with. And you, uh, even though you knew you were coming, you made us recruit you a little yeah, longer. Yeah, I can make them, make them work. You it. made us sweat. Yep, absolutely. Constant thing <laughs> meant nothing at that time. Uh, Just totally made me sweat. But you ended up coming to Washington and uh, had a great career there. Ended up playing in the NBA. So I remember that as our first recruit. Yeah, it was surreal because before I signed, I never watched a Washington game. I didn't know who was on the <laughs> team. And so I just knew you and I trusted you. And yeah. I said, Coach, if I play hard in practice, would you use that to decide who plays in the game? Of course, every coach would say, sure, yeah. But, and you did, but I, I really believed you and I trusted you and I said, Let's, let's see what happens. So I tell that story to a lot of people, a lot of young people, that Bobby Jones uh, didn't ask for any favors. The only thing he requested was that he was given a fair chance. And he became you became a four-year starter by giving that fair chance. Yeah, yeah, well, I was very wise, I guess. <laughs> uh, so, all right, quick questions. Your favorite UW. All right, so how many years did you coach at University of Washington? I was at University of Washington for 15 years. 15 years. And in your 15 years... I'm putting you on the spot. Your favorite Husky team and why? Oh, my goodness. I know it's like picking your favorite child, you know, but just if you have to pick one. The two you won't hurt my feelings. Don't worry. You won't hurt my feelings. The 2004 team kind of became the 2004 and 5 team a little bit because it was the same group. Yeah. And that was the first time that uh, University of Washington had gone into the, into the NCAA tournament in a while. And we had lost our first five games in conference, and it didn't seem like anything was going to happen. And we have players like Brandon Roy, Nate Robinson, Trey Simmons, Will Conroy, Mike Jones. We had a lot of good players, and we're losing. We're very young still, though, but the names were there. So Yeah, but we were still a selfish team, and we hadn't developed the chemistry yet. Once the chemistry came together, we were unselfish. We became unselfish. That's when we started winning. We won a 12 out of our last 13 games upset number one Stanford who was undefeated at the time and we went Josh to Childress of the conference that, that's right that's right we ended up going to the uh, NCAA tournament that year so the, obviously that was a favorite team because it was the first time we went but then that same group came back and was the number one seed in the entire NCAA tournament so that's another favorite team right there so I, I would have to say those those two teams because you guys were the one that got it, ones that got it going and got it started. Gotcha. And as you know, in college, you know, when you win, you get a lot more exposure. You're able to recruit better names. You can use players who evolved and go to the NBA. Did those teams help? Or, I mean, we already know you're a great recruiter. So given that in the winning, you know, combination, I'm sure that made stuff not easier, but it helped you out in years to come. Just shape the program and bring other big names, such as, you know, Quincy Pondexter, Isaiah Thomas. Uh, you go ahead. You, you guys were the catalyst, Bobby. You you were the trendsetter. You laid the foundation. Uh, there were people all around the country that was Washington watching Washington play basketball. Man, you guys play fast. We were second in the nation or third in the nation in scoring. The style that we played was was very attractive to young people. And uh, you guys became household names. And as a result, when we began to recruit, 
people had watched you play, people knew the style we were playing, and it, it helped us get those guys. And you know, after after you guys left, uh, yeah, Isaiah Thomas came, and Terrence Ross came, and uh, uh, Justin Holiday came, and uh, finally Marquise Chris, Dejounte Murray, and Markel Fultz down the stretch. Uh, my last year. But you guys were the ones that started it all. Gotcha. Do you have any regrets? Like, if you can change one thing during your time at Washington, maybe uh, recruit this player, get that player, or a play, or a game. Is there one thing you not regret, but what if that you could change? If we could have uh, 2012, the recruiting class that we thought we were going to have, uh, we put all all of our eggs in one basket. Aaron Gordon. Uh, Jabari Bird, Isaac Hamilton, guys like that were saying, we're coming to Washington. So we didn't recruit others as hard. None of those guys came. So uh -huh. we ended up losing out on everyone. And that set us back for a couple of years. If mm -hmm. there was one thing I'd like to change is we were taking some of the guys that probably were plan B at the time and uh, probably still be working at the University of Washington. <laughs> yeah, never know. What about a Seattle player? Because Seattle has a, is known for having great basketball players now. Is there one player you wish you would have recruited more out of Seattle that end up going out, you know, that end up going somewhere else? Oh, I know. There's some that we recruited that we didn't get. Or how about but, both? Who did you recruit that you didn't get? And who did you not recruit that you like, oh, I should have maybe tried to recruit him? Is the, there? The first year we were there, we recruited a guy that ended up going to North Carolina, won a national championship. He's still in the NBA, named Marvin Williams. That's the one we really, really wanted. I was his host. I tried to, I tried my magic. I couldn't get him either. <laughs> you remember? Yeah, yeah. We, we worked. We was like, we gotta get this guy, Bob. I was like, all right, we'll try it, man. I was pretty good with my. I will always, uh, when t you know, when kids come on recruiting trips, uh, you know, certain nights the players there to host for the players. So, and with that, sometimes you get to go with the coach and the recruit and their family to eat. So obviously at that time, my coach, you know, I want to go eat, I, I'll take them out. And so that that was our situation. Most of the guys I, that I was the host for usually came though, but you know, Marvin, he was on a whole different deal, obviously, but. Yeah, he was, but he hadn't seen us be successful yet. It was our first That's year. That's true, That's true. And he didn't know what was coming down the pike. You know, he didn't know what you guys would have accomplished. Maybe we would have got Marvin Williams. And there's a kid that just transferred from Washington State named Malachi Flint that uh, we didn't really recruit that hard. We made a mistake there. We, mm -hmm. we should have gone after him. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, in the news, there's been a lot of talk about one and done. Do you think the NCAA should eliminate that and players should have a choice? Or what is your opinion on it? Should it be maybe updated or tweaked a little bit? Or if you're good enough to go out of high school and the NBA says that, not your AAU coach or your uncle, well, you know, it's if the NBA is saying you will be a lottery pick, a first round pick out of high school, then I think you should have that uh, freedom to be able to go. If not, I think you should stay in college for at least two years. So you think if you can go, go. But if you go to college for two years, I think. Yeah, I, I think if you're there one year, I don't know if that totally prepares you for what you're about to, to get into. Uh, you're definitely not prepared out of high school. You may be talented enough, but just socially, mentally, you're, you're not ready for the NBA out of high school. Yeah. So very rarely is there a kid that's really, truly ready out of high school. So I think those two years would be beneficial to the kid and the game, the college game and the NBA game. Gotcha. And then what about kids who are in that process of deciding to go into the draft once they're in college, about entering the draft or staying? Do you think 
the NCAA should have a rule to where if you declare and you don't get drafted, you can come back to college. Because it's one of those, like, if you commit, you can't go back. Do you think there should be a grayer for that? Like, I, I think there should be a grayer. Like, if a kid want to try and doesn't succeed, the door to go back should be still there. I mean, it's a great way to learn, you know. Well, that's kind of set up like that now. Really? Where they can, they can put their name uh, in the draft and they have a certain date where they have to withdraw. Gotcha. But uh, Is that with an agent or without an agent? Without an agent, exactly. Gotcha. Can't have an agent with it. But if you're going to go out of high school, then to me, I don't think there should be a point of return. If you're going to go, you're going to go. There shouldn't be that many kids doing it. But sure, uh, sure. Uh, right now, Bobby, it's, it's changing. It's not just going to the league one and done. Kids are going to overseas out of high school now. And then eventually, I think kids will end up going to the G, G League. Yeah. out of high school. Yeah, they're going to get that baseball farm system started. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's, it's only a matter of time. Obviously, it's still the beginning phases of figuring it out, but next five or 10 years, it will be for sure more yeah. you know, strategic and, and scientific. Okay, well, here's my next question. What do you feel about student athletes getting paid? I, uh, I think- As a parent, as a coach, or as a player, I'm sure there's different perspectives. That's why the topic is very interesting for a lot of people for many different reasons. I think there should be a, a stipend. I like the improvements the NCAA has made with the food. There's almost, you, you know, you can have additional meals that the school can pay for. Uh, the, the collegiate athlete, especially in basketball, you don't have the luxury that a normal student has where you can go get you a night job at work. The normal student can go do that. Uh, now, the argument could be, well, the normal student isn't there on scholarship, but I still think that uh, with what you're getting as a college student athlete, I just don't know if it allows you the luxury to just to do some other things. Now, are we poor? Are we starving? I totally disagree with that. I don't agree with that part. But if you want to go do some things on the weekend that a normal student would be able to do and you need some extra money to be able to do that, uh, I think there definitely should be, should be more money in that regard. But I think the NCAA is making more strides in doing that. I, I also think it's extremely complicated if now uh, basketball student athletes are given large sums of money. I'm just, how do you regulate that? Is it just for those that are bringing revenue into yeah. the mm -hmm. school? If that's the case, can, can that be a lawsuit waiting to happen for the other student athletes in the Olympic sports that aren't bringing that money? How do you keep those that are not going to work within the rules? How do you get to keep them under control? Now money's coming from everywhere. I so just think it's those people still. Yeah, I think it's very complicated. Yeah, I don't think there's one obviously straight answer, but the conversation and progression has to be continue to grow and get better because, you know, like you said, there's a lot of kids from different backgrounds, family, no family, you know, there's, they want to help their families too. And, you know, they can't because they're obligated to do this and that. So there's many situations, but yeah, I, I agree 100%. So, all right, coach, if you wasn't coaching, what, 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 after basketball, what do you think you would have done? Do you know? Have you ever thought about that? Uh, you knew you were going to do something related to basketball of some sort on some level or? I probably do what I was doing before I became a coach division one level, some type of full-time ministry. Maybe it's a sports ministry of some kind, but that's probably what I would be doing. Gotcha. What does growing up in Compton mean to you? Did you see it as a learning experience? Did you learn directly, indirectly? 
how did growing up in Compton make you the person you are today? I think growing up in Compton provided a certain level of toughness that instilled in me just by growing up, uh, knowing that uh, there's a chance when you go out, there's a chance someone's going to try to jump you and take your money. You're going to be threatened. Uh, you had to you had to be able to survive. There's a certain level of street smarts that you attain when you grow up in a place like Compton that uh, people pay money to, to, to go to class to learn some things. I don't mean learn how to deal with games. You're paying money to learn that. But I just mean in terms of just figuring out a way to do it, figuring out, being creative, finding a way to get by, finding a way to do things. How to deal with adversity in a lot of situations. You had, you, you're faced with tons of adversity when you grow up in a place like Compton. How do you deal with that? Uh, it certainly didn't make me soft toward life, that's for sure. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade for anything. Awesome. Well, Coach, thank you for being on the podcast, and I appreciate it. You've always been a father figure, you know, besides my father, but another male positive male to look up to, and I appreciate you spending some time and talking about your life. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. You just don't know how proud of I am of you and what you do. Oh, thank you, Coach. All right, guys. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time. Follow Bobby on Twitter at Bobby's World 84 and Instagram at BasketballJones84. Thanks for listening to the Growing Up Compton podcast.